0: crazy world we live in when people use the word geek it can create certain impressions in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype i'm your super dummy paul this is geek
1: Um, so i've come along i've started doing some reviews with jack on the nevers podcast um which i've been really enjoying so i've done three episodes and obviously it has now gone on his on its hiatus so hopefully it comes back and i can do it a few more i've really been enjoying it actually it's so i actually used to so jack is my brother and i used to we used to live together, we lived together for a really long time. We'd watch all of the TV shows together. We had our night nice schedule throughout the weeks to watch things, much to the annoyance of our housemates or other halves. Um, so it's nice, it's sort of bringing back what we used to do, sort of like 10, 10 or so years ago and sit and watch something and then just spend hours chatting rubbish about it. So it's been really, really fun. So I actually moved to London because of him. Um, and then, so and, but then we didn't live together straight away. He actually ended up moving back home. It's all ridiculous and complicated. And then we found somewhere together with some friends. And we just used to have these amazing nights every single week. It's sort of like a bit of an idyllic time. And obviously as it always does when a group of people live together for like four or five years, it all completely fell apart in the end. But um, to start with, it was great. So we'd always all get home from work. We'd always sit down and play Mario Kart on the N64 and have little championships. It just used to be like the highlight. Then we'd all probably get some dinner and then we would sit down and depending on the day of the week, we would watch whatever TV show it was. So I forced all of them to watch America's Next Top Model with me, which I believe was either on Monday or Tuesday nights. I can't remember. And then it would be, you know, like Lost, Battlestar, Galactica. James and I were really into Deadwood. We used to sit and watch Alias together. So, so he discovered Alias for us and we'd sit and watch that 24 as well it was all just sort of like just a really nice communal experience which is really really enjoyable um, and then always we would end up the day with more Mario Kart or Golden which you know is one of the best games ever made so it was really lovely and then we'd do like lovely weekend sit downs there i'd bring a projector home from work we would put that up on the wall and then we would just have film nights and stuff like that, all of us together. So it was really, it was a really good sort of housemate experience. You hear about all of these horrible housemates' experiences. But actually, it was for, especially for the first couple of years or so before we all sort of went off and started doing our own things. It was really, really good fun. And some of like my favourite memories of sitting down and sharing sort of geeky stuff together, I suppose. And that was one of the things for me as well. So I would say not all of our housemates were particularly what was considered geeky. So growing up, I grew up in sort of a little town and I was really influenced by my older brothers. so one is, one is 10 years older than me um, one is two. and so we all got sort of the stuff filtered down from my eldest brother, so films which were very inappropriate for us to be watching and even comic books. But for me it' always been it was not don't want to be like I'm an outsider. You know, my friends and my peers were never really into the same sort of things that I was. It was only my brothers who were, really. And so it was only them I had ever to talk about it. And, of course, they had their, especially when I became a teenager, you know, they were off doing their own things. They weren't really around to experience that with. So my all-time favourite TV show is Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. And I would still, after, after Jack moved out, I would still sit at home and watch it every single week. But I had no friends to talk to about it because I was the only person in my friendship group who watched it, and I was passionate about it. Absolutely obsessed. It meant everything to me. Like I still remember, I found one friend who I'd never really been friends with before. She was in my class who liked Buffy, and it was the um, so it was the end of season three. And she just invited me around to watch the double bill of end of season three and that was it that's what our entire friendship was that one night just watching those two episodes like that's how much I had no friendship group that enjoyed the same things as me and of course back then we didn't have um sort of like the same communication tools that we have now so it wasn't like I could quickly just drop either of my brothers a text and be like oh did you watch this or had you read this that just wasn't the thing and you didn't pick up the phone to call people either that was also weird so it was just really quite a like an isolated experience. I still loved it. I don't really have any negative connotations around it. But then when I moved to London and then when we moved into our big shared house and it was suddenly like a communal, all getting to enjoy these things and all the things that I liked, it was so exciting. And it was so just sort of like, this is finally a peer group that I can feel involved in and I can talk about these things and we can talk about them all day long. When I was a teenager, I'd go, you know, my friendship groups, and they were talking about, you know, like this person called this boy on the phone and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool. But I just watched the latest Jean Claude Van Damme film that I got on DVD from the local video shop. Can we talk about it? And they'd be like, who's Jean Claude Van Damme? It's like, no. Uh, So, yeah, I had one friend. Um, who's still a very, very good friend of mine, who tried her hardest just to understand what I was into. So she would come round on weekends and like I'd force her to watch films. And she'd like, I've, I will forever hold her in my heart for doing this. But, you know, she clearly wasn't that interested. It was just because I was interested and she was a lovely person. But, you know, like I'm forcing her to watch. I was big into sort of action films and then started veering towards horror. And she had no interest in horror. So I just had to make her watch action films with me. She was just like not interested, but she'd sit there on a Friday or Saturday night whilst I forced her to watch a double bill of like Bruce Willis and stuff. like. And I'll never forget one night I was like, maybe we should do Star Wars. And she and she went, oh, yeah, I know all about lifesavers. And I was like, do you mean lightsabers? <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, what? how wonderful that she was just trying her best. But like that, it was just sort of like nobody cared. And I really cared. I really, really cared a lot. It was a lot to me. You know, like, the things that I would watch meant so much to me. Batman the Animated Series, right, used to be on every Saturday morning. Maybe Sunday morning might be misremembering. But to me, that's, like, one of the greatest cartoons and TV shows that that has ever been created. But it wasn't until, sort of, like, ten years later that I'm getting to have those conversations with people and getting to be really excited. I'll always be excited about Batman the Animated Series. Um, So it was just... It wasn't, I wouldn't say I was lonely. I had wonderful friends and all of those sort of things. But it was just such an isolating be, experience being a geek, I guess. But I just, I just loved being in other worlds. I loved experiencing it. Every single night before bed, when I ended up having a TV, video player and then DVD player in my room, I'd watch a film before bed every single night. You know, I'd, I'd get home from school, do my homework or do my studying, have dinner, hang out with my mum a bit hang out with my brother when he was still at home before he went to university but then it would always be a film before bed always and that was you know how i relaxed but it's also i guess it's sort of not how i how i would dream but i just love and i still love this about films about going into a different world even if it's you know not a great world I've, i was really obsessed with sort of like Apocalypse Now, for example. I have no idea why. I watch it now and it's still a fantastic film, but I would watch it like once a week. So not know, just depressing myself as like a 16-year-old. <laughs> like, so what was wrong with me? Um, but it just, there's just something about it for me that's always been there. Like some of my earliest memories are about films. Some of my key touch points in my life are about films. And I think that's just really endured. I think we were really lucky when we were children that our parents, they never censored things. Obviously, they didn't let us watch things that were inappropriate, but we were allowed to be exposed to things that could be, you know, maybe not considered appropriate for like a 10-year-old. Obviously, it's not, you know, showing like hardcore violence, but, you know, what would be considered a 12 or a 15 now, they would allow us to watch it and experience it. And it really opened up a world for me. I don't know, it's just something about, fi- just film is such a fantastic artistic medium and I love how I've changed from when I was younger to where I am now. I still love things like Die Hard and things like that, but I'm much more considerate on what I consume in films. You know, I take a lot of a, a more of a stronger stance on what sort of things I want to expose myself to. And I do wonder if a lot of that is because I was exposed to a lot when I was younger. So I've sort of, I've been able to figure out what I like. I've been able to figure out what gets my heart pumping, what I find funny, what I want to spend my time experiencing. I say that I would watch multiple films every single day if I could, if that was a job, I want that job, please. But at the same time, you know especially now being a parent working full time my time is limited i want to just watch what i think is either going to have a an impact on me or is going to reflect my mood or help change my mood i'm a lot more discerning but i don't leave anything out i'm not quite sure where this thought is going um <laughs> but i mean as well when i was when i was younger so when i was sort of like 15 16 i didn't have a particularly happy home life so my mum went through her second divorce and my brother had left to go to university and I, it was very much i was there left there to pick up the pieces and one of the things that my mum and i really bond about is films. she loves films as well um and so it would be you know you're feeling a bit down do you want to sit and watch a film and we'd watch anything she would watch anything with me she was so wonderful she'd go down to the video shop or we'd go through our, our piles of dvds we'd both just collect dvds and we'd just choose something at random we'd just sit and watch it and she would be there and she'd be present and you know being a teenager is really tough going through a divorce you know your your mum's going through a second divorce and things aren't particularly great at home The fact that she would take the time out of her day you know sometimes she would have three jobs to try and get money together to continue the life that we had and so people at school wouldn't know you know that i suddenly don't have as much money that we had and she would take two hours out of a day to sit and watch a film with me when she's exhausted she just wants to go to bed or she's thinking about you know where the next paycheck's coming from like that's i can't I can't explain to somebody who hasn't been through that how special it is. And then that she did she like films? I mean, she did, but she was also doing it for me. And I know that she was doing that. And it just it's just bred this, there's just something in me that, that films just have such an importance in my life. This isn't a very well thought out thought, but all I can say is that, you know, if you've got somebody in your life and there's something that they care about, taking that time out to be interested in it And to just put everything down, put your phone down, you know, put your book down, not think about work, not get up and make dinner and just spend that time with them. It has such a strong influence on their future life. And, you know, I think you can get get interest from what they like. So comic books, for example, you know, our eldest brother loved comics and he's definitely the reason we both read comics, although we've, you know, all got different tastes in them. But I, I will never forget that comics were available. Probably weren't supposed to read them, um, but we both did. And without them being there, you know, there's no way where I lived in this small town that I would ever have had access or known what they are, especially at the ages that I did. I still remember it. So he's 10 years older than me. So he was at university, you know, when I was, when I was 10 years old and in my early teens. I still remember one of the first comic books I ever read, ever sat and properly read was um love and rockets probably not appropriate for like a 12 year old right but I remember it so vividly I remember going into this room because he had left lots of stuff behind as as people do when they go off to university going to this room going into, and I was like oh cool this has got women on it it's got girls on the cover so, you know, I was like I'm gonna read that because all the others is just like men with helmets and guns and things like that which I had read and I you know loved all the Um, sort of like Marvel DC cartoons on TV. And I knew they came from comics. I would read those comics as well. But I was like, this looks a bit different and it's got women on it and it's about girls. And I like girls and they've got cool clothes and haircuts. And I just sat there and I remember sitting at the dining room table, which was at the front of our house, like the sunlight coming in the window and reading it. And obviously I was quite young so I didn't know half of what it is and understand, you know, about like lesbians and different cultures and stuff like that. I just remember going... This is so cool. And they're talking about something that isn't superheroes, although it is, like, set in a magical world. It's been like, okay, great, where's the next one? And then sneaking back in and getting the next one. And then I finished Love and Rockets, and I was like, okay, I'm going to look for something else that looks a bit different. So then grabbing Sandman, and, I mean, Neil Gaiman's one of my all-time favourite ra- writers now, and just getting Sandman and being like, you open the first issue, and you're like, what is happening? You don't understand what is happening, but you just read it because it's just so, and, you know, the art's ridiculously beautiful. You go through and doing the same and going through and just picking them up and just working my way through and through. And it's like he had this amazing print of um, of death from Sandman. And I remember I felt so brave that I called him one day, which was mad, to call your brother. And I was like, you've got this picture in your room. So I was confessing that I'd been into his room of, of death from Sandman would I be able to frame it and put it up? And he went, no, you're not allowed it. And then about two weeks later, came back from university and like cleared out the picture. (laughs) Just like, I'm not letting my little sister get her grubby little hands on what this amazing picture is. (laughs) And it's, and it's without, I really have to credit like my older brothers and my mum for allowing me to discover that, you know, because he never then turned around and said, you can't touch my comic books. They were still allowed, but I wasn't allowed the picture. You know, without them, without those outside influences, there's no way I would have been into them, no way at all. And so I actually ended up living with him for a few months before I first moved to London, and um, and he was just like, "There's my comics. Go and go and read whatever you like. Just be careful with them, because because there's some of them are in sleeves and stuff like that." He was like, "Just, just, but just go and read them," and like you know, that was the first time I moved away from sort of the Marvel. Or like I said, you know, I was just obsessed with Sandman. And I started reading, you know, a lot more of Alan Moore's work and stuff like that and reading something a bit different. So moving on, those, those tastes in what I was reading um, that just really sort of like, I think, set me up for now of what sort of comics I like. So with comics, I do like Marvel and DC stuff. Uh, I, I'm a massive Deadpool fan, although I read it less so now. But actually, when it comes to DC and Marvel, I actually prefer the films to the comics. If I spend my time reading comics, I want to read something that's sort of probably from a bit more of an indie title or that's, or that's just a little bit different. I'd much rather, if I had to choose, I would, like, I don't know, for some reason, the world said you could only choose Marvel films or Marvel comics, I would choose Marvel films any day. But then if they turn around and said to me, oh, you know, like, V for Vendetta, you, you had to choose the comic or the film. I think we'd all probably choose this as a terrible example, but I would always choose the comic, always, 100%. But then I look at V for Vendetta and it was such a revelation to me. You know, I've, I, you know, I've, I've, again, I remember reading V for Vendetta and I wasn't particularly politically minded, because I was still sort of like in my late teens, early twenties. Um, but, you know, I remember reading V for Vendetta and just being like, what like this story what is it about why would people do this to other people even though we know we've done it in history you know obviously talking about nazis and stuff like that but you know with v vendetta it, it feels so sort of like this would never happen in england right we would never we'd never put people in camps for for being gay we'd never do that and of course we would and you know and the more you grow up the more you think I don't want to be too political, but I'm not a fan of Margaret Thatcher, which, if anybody knows me, is not shocking. But, you know, I look at V for Vendetta and I go, this is what Margaret Thatcher wanted to do. This is what she wanted to do to our country, and this is what she wanted to do to people who she didn't think fit into, like, British values. And and somehow that's in a comic book, and anybody can read that. And they may, might not make the same assumptions or connections that i'm making but anyone can read this comic book and go we should not be putting gay people in caps and like and it's there it's on the page they don't shy away from it and it's kind of like that's so powerful to me it's so again i'm not quite sure where i'm going about this i'm not sure rambling's the best uh, <laughs> the best format for me to gather my thoughts but um because <laughs> i have just too many they're all coming out But, you know, I just think, especially at 20 or, you know, sort of like 1920, nobody had ever presented anything so starkly to me, you know, and gone, this is something that could happen or that people wanted to happen. And nobody presented it to me in a format that was like there on the page. There was just something that was so different to reading that, to reading history books, because I'm quite into history. And and, and it applying to you and sort of galvanising me on going what would I do in this situation who who what side would I fall on or would I fall in the middle and for me I find comics do that more than film with film I sit there and I love it and I enjoy it and I take everything in often ruin it for myself by going oh that's some beautiful cinematography like a complete wanker or like ruining twists and stuff like that but with comic books they you have to sit and focus on the comic, I find, because you've got so much going on. You've got the art, you've got the panels, you've got the writing. And if you're not fully invested, you miss half the story. And it's such a powerful medium for me personally to tell those stories and to give political messages and to make you think about what you would do in these situations. Where do you fall? And I just, I, for me, I find comics really powerful in that way. I love the Oscars I know it's all complete and utter BS and it's all ridiculous and I know that people campaign for their films to win and for stars to win but I love it I absolutely love it for years and years and years I've watched it live only for the last two years I haven't due to uh I mean outrageously my husband's grandfather had his funeral on the day of the Oscars so obviously we couldn't stay up and watch that um <laughs> i'm not heartless i promise that is a joke i've realized you can't all see my sarcastic face um <laughs> and then you know global pandemic sort of stopped us doing it this year so usually we have some friends around and watch it um you know i unashamedly love the oscars and even though i know they're frivolous i do think there is some good in them as they have power to show films that we would not necessarily get to see that wouldn't go out to the masses you know i think this year's a wonderful example. You know, we've had Nomad Land, we had Sound of Metal, which, if you've not seen Sound of Metal, please watch, it's so good. um You know, we're seeing more and more of it in previous years, but then we have setbacks of films like Green Book, which, look, I know some people like, but it's a hugely, hugely problematic film, and it's not on my watch list because I don't want to add to the discourse around white saviours. Um, and and how we treat people of colour in cinema and it's also not my expertise to talk about it so I'm not going to talk about it now but it makes me very very angry um you know we you know I I remember seeing and we sat and watched the Oscars when there was the the announcement that La La Land won best film and like there was a group of us and we were so angry because Moonlight is just one of the most wonderful films I've ever seen although I can't watch it too much because it's just like two hours of sobbing um <laughs> I mean sometimes I'm in that mood but you know it depends last time I was in the mood to cry I sat and watched Room with Brie Larson and just sat on the sofa just crying just by myself in my flat like an absolute weirdo it's great um <laughs> you, you know so anyway <clears throat> you know I remember sitting there and and we all sat there and we couldn't believe it. We were like, look, we all like La La Land, but it's like Moonlight. And then the announcement that it was Moonlight. And it's just like, great that Moonlight won and it deserved to win. And now because of the mix up, more people are watching it and more people are aware of it. But they shouldn't be aware of Moonlight because of that. You know, and that shows, and I don't know how to fix it and I'm not in the industry, so I can't, but it shows that, you know, there's a systemic, systemic problem there that, it's great that people are watching Moonlight now and knowing Barry Jenkins' work and watching his amazing productions that he's doing on on t v and on streaming and stuff like that now that it's there's still that core problem there, and I do think streaming is is doing some of that work, but you know I'm also suspicious you know like Netflix won't ever release its figures they won't ever talk about why things are popular and why things aren't, why some things get cancelled and why some things don't. And although I think there are some good intentions there, you know, I also think they do want to make money and they do want to make an impact and they don't want people to talk about them. I think there are some amazing people coming up who could, if, you know, if we let them, could disrupt the, the storytelling that we have. You know, I've talked about Barry, Barry Jenkins, Michaela Cole is, is wonderful. Someone give Michaela Cole a f- film, please. Can you just imagine? Um just how amazing it would be but I just also just think that the systems need such a big shake-up we're starting to see that with the Hollywood foreign press but still I you know I can get quite cynical about these things depends on what day you get me some days I'm incredibly cynical about whether things will change other days I'm incredibly positive I feel like today I'm going a bit more cynical you know I just don't think I'm not saying let's like kill all the old people because I fundamentally disagree with that but also I think maybe some old people just need to move off well oh, I making some strong statements <laughs> I think maybe some old people just need to just like go to the side a bit and let some new voices some younger people tell their stories and share their experiences via the medium of film and I think and I think that's something that could revive cinema I love going to the cinema but I I have so many problems before the pandemic. you know people are going and they're just eating, drinking, talking throughout. I don't have time for that. My cinema experience is you go and you watch the film. That's why you're there, right? Plus, it costs a fortune. So why are you just chatting away. It costs loads of money um, and and I think there's going to be a huge problem at the end of the pandemic of people going back. You know my group of, of friends and contacts and acquaintances, we love going to the cinema but we're like a very small proportion of people who now realise they can do streaming and, and all that stuff at home, but actually going to the cinema, it should be an experience and it should be a place to go and sit with people and, and experience something, consume something. And imagine if we started putting on films that weren't, I don't know, Martin Scorsese. Apparently I hate him now. I don't know why, but I like, he's the thing that keeps on popping into my head. Um, wonderful filmmaker, I'm so sorry Martin, um, <laughs> you know, but putting something else up there that people can watch, Hustlers, right, Hustlers, I went to see, I was on maternity leave, my daughter had just started nursery, so I had like a day to myself, and I was in the local shopping place, and I just texted my other half, and I was like, I'm just going to see what's in the cinema, I'm going to the cinema, and I got there, and I was like, 10 minutes before Hustlers, before Hustlers, I was like, yes, I keep on hearing about it, I'm going to go and see it, so Got my ticket, popped and got a little bit of pick and mix. I know I said about people eating, but I, was, I just had a baby. Um, <laughs> and I got in, and it was the smallest screen in the big multi multiplex, but it was full, absolutely full. There were only two seats available, and one was mine. Um, and we sat there, and people sat, and they sat and watched it, and it was a mixture of age ranges uh, of different people, and they sat and they watched this film that was made by a woman, starred women, was about women, and they sat through the whole thing and afterwards there was such an amazing buzz. Like, I mean, it's a great film anyway, but just like people were talking about it and they were excited about it. And it was it was almost like a, you know, when you watch a film and people come out of the cinema and they're talking about it in the foyer, which never happens in real life. That did happen in real life. And people coming out and talking about it and talking to the people they sat next to about it. And I was like, this is what cinema is. This is why cinema is really important because it can bring people together to have this experience. And that, you know, that does happen with like Star Wars and with, with Marvel and superhero films and, and like Star Trek and stuff like that, which is great. It's one of the things I absolutely love about geek, geek culture. But like, oh, isn't that just so powerful? I didn't talk to anybody because I can sometimes be a bit antisocial. But, you know, I was like just viewing these people and seeing these people coming out, talking about a film that was about women and female friendships that was done by women and felt like it was about women. I've never known that to happen before. It was so exciting. I do often love opening night cinema experiences. I think they can be so much fun and we've done it for a couple. Um, so, I mean, most of the Marvel films, the new Star Wars, which, you know, has been on and off okay. Um, you know, Lord of the, I remember Lord of the Rings coming out and sort of like that being a real experience. But then, lots of my other experiences, especially when I first moved to London, would be I've got a day off and I'm going to go during the day, and it would either be there'd be two experiences that I'd either have. It'd be me and like some random old women who were usually very quiet during the film. Occasionally, would be like what's happening here, but usually like a fantastic cinema experience, or it'd be me and a bunch of annoying people who were just sat there during the middle of the day, just having some chats in the cinema, messing about, getting their phones out. And it's just like, it just, oh, it just drives me mad. And I used to watch a lot of horror films in the cinema during the day. So I'd be like, I've got a day off because I worked shift work. So I'd be like, i will just pop and, pop and watch things. And there's nothing weirder than sitting by yourself in an empty, dark cinema watching a horror film. Like, it's one of the most terrifying experiences of your life. I, I went and saw the orphanage It's just so tense. And I thought I was the only one in there. And there's a scene in the orphanage where somebody gets hit by a car. And when that person got hit by a car, somebody behind me screamed, who I did not know was there. I absolutely shit myself and was like, oh, my, like, ah. And it was just like this other random woman who'd come to the cinema to watch the orphanage. It sat behind me, like directly behind me, like an absolute creepo. And at the end, I was just like, "Oh, your scream was really funny, but maybe not sit right behind the only other person in the cinema next time. Like, it was so weird. I, I like maybe that's just like the thing that they really like to do to just come in and sit behind lone people and scream at them. I think we're in a wonderful new era of horror films, so I've always been drawn to sort of the horror sci-fi style stuff so i mean buffy is obviously a huge influence influence which i would consider is more horror maybe fantasy than sort of sort of sci-fi um like i still remember first time sitting down watching x-files with my brother and again i'm not sure why our mum let us watch that but sat there in the dark and for like those first two episodes not so scary and then you get to like three and then you get to tombs and they are literally terrifying absolutely terrifying and just being sat there as a kid and just being like oh this is so exciting I am so scared and excited at the same time you know it's just like it's, what a thrill to have those feelings going on at the same time which is why I love horror and then like I'll never well I say I'll never forget the first time I watched the thing I don't think I actually remember the first time I've watched the thing but I'll never forget the feeling of watching the thing so I could not tell you a date and a time an age or anything like that or what was happening when i first watched it but i know i watched it as a teenager at some point and i'll never forget watching it and my mind my tiny little teenage mind being absolutely blown and then putting it on again straight away and just and just like sat just being sat there and watching it and watching for everything that happened and and being like oh so what at the end like is one of them and what's and what happens here? oh right so this this connects to here. This is how you know that he is infected and and ah uh, that film is I, I did a tweet about it the other day. Like that's my forever film. It's I don't really believe in favourites, but it's my all time favourite film that has ever been made and I'm obsessed with it and I will talk about the thing forever. Not right now. Um you know and I and I watch it regularly and I definitely think that was my Sort of hook into horror films. I definitely watched horror films before Nightmare on Elm Street and and Halloween and stuff like that, and enjoyed them. And also, these are sort of horror films that came out sort of before or around when I was born, or or sort of like when I was much too young to watch them. So I was watching them sort of like ten years or so after they'd been made, and they had such a profound effect on me. And I continued to consume horror, and then you know we start getting to the Scream era of horror, which is like fantastic. And then we sort of we hit sort of like a 10 years or so where horror's just not that great, where it is that we just want to make people jump, or sort of like the the body horror, not the body horror sort of the, the gore horror style stuff, which I don't mind, but isn't really my bag. And then I feel like now we've started to get to like this lovely I love horror films because I think they can explore multiple things in a short period of time, much like Jaws, horror films aren't necessarily about the horror. I mean, sometimes they are, just are. Sometimes they like, oh, just want someone to go around slashing teenagers with big boobs. And that's fine. I'm into that, too. Um, but, you know, much like Jaws, I don't think horror films are actually about the horror element. I think they tell so many other stories. You know, famous examples are, you know, George Romero's zombie films, right? They're, they're telling so much more than films about zombies and I think horror often gets overlooked because of because of like the blood the jumps and the scares and there's so much more in them and that's what I find so fast fascinating so like the thing the thing isn't really about the alien it's about humans and how we react in these situations right especially when isolated and horror films can do so much more of that and I feel like there's this fantastic generation of filmmakers who have realized that and been like okay so the money might be in sort of the jump scares and the slashes and stuff like that. But I want to tell a story about a wider thing. I want to tell stories that aren't about the blood and and those things. I want to tell the stories that are about human nature or about how we react in these situations or society. And I want to reflect those things that are going on. I think that's so overlooked in horror films, you know. We get something like Hereditary, which, spoilers on the surface of it is about a cult and it is about a cult, like absolutely is about that. But also within that film, you know, we deal with, we deal with grief. We deal with the loss of the child. We deal with children that might seem a little bit weird. You know, we've with family dynamics and we, we deal with potential abuse from a, from a parent to a child. You know, all of these things are in two hours. That would be like a 12 part BBC series, right? And I'm not saying that it's all perfectly done, or that it's, you know, there's some subtleties that are definitely missed. But horror allows you to explore that. And I and I now think we're also getting to the next step. So I love video games. I have really strong memories of when we were younger of having a Nintendo, uh, borrowing our neighbour's Super, well, borrowing our neighbour's NES. Which, by the way, was genius of them because they would stop their children playing on it, so we'd get it for a weekend. Like, as an adult, I'm like, that is an absolute genius parenting move. <laughs> so would be like, oh, do you just want to borrow the snes for the weekend? Um, of course, my mum would be like, yeah, let's keep them quiet. And I'm like, oh, thank God, I don't have to listen to bloody Mario all the time. You know, so I have really strong memories of of computer games. And then as I got older, like, I still playing computer games. I so I moved in with my oldest brother for a few months. And that was, like, my first exposure to a PlayStation and playing games on there. And he, he you know, is quite into, like, slasher beat up games so playing those you know horror elements started creeping into those games so then we know i'm getting a bit older i've got a bit more money and i'm buying consoles for myself um you know i'm sort of exploring those games i'm exploring silent hill and things like that um a friend suggested i can't remember the name of it now and i constantly google it to remember the name but it's it's like a horror game where you've got a camera and you have to go around creepy house and take photos and it and it sort of shows the horrific thing that happened. You've got to explore the house and stuff like that.
0: First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Buck. A Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, go And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up, the battle me, I definitely do not fuck that in need of an adult-sized nemesis humans make good fertilizer. you can't fuck with lois lane for fuck's sake i'm a damn good cop a lot of lasers mm. educational and informative the dc comics news podcast network presents mad love the harley quinn cast <laughs> back to you seth so tell us your thoughts We'd love to hear from everyone out there, or not. That's really up to all of you, fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and, and video games. The complete okay. ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans, for fans, making new fans superheroes, or dummies, part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. All work and no play makes for a dull way to live, don't you agree? Join me, Adam Ray, and a very special guest each week on the Hostile Takeover, where they and I discuss their favourite game. PC, console, board game or tabletop, whatever they decide, what we will talk about. Let gaming be the way forward. Working's too much. It's time for a hostile takeover. coming soon to a podcast feed near you. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss... Everything DC movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But I'll just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on Every podcast platform Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs>
1: My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in
0: Motion feed in your favourite podcast catcher.
1: My second all-time favourite game in the whole world, my first all-time favourite game in the whole world is Knights of the Old Republic. Kotor is literally the perfect game. But same, so my second all-time favourite game in the world is The Last of Us, which on you know, you see The Last of Us, it's a horror game, like you everybody thinks it's a horror game. You play The Last of Us, and it is not. It's so much more. It's some of the strongest storytelling I have ever experienced in my entire life. I love storytelling, that's why I love comics and I love films. And you play the game and you do all these things in a horror environment. You know, it's like it's like The Walking Dead, really, but the comic book's not a TV show. You know, it's about people and things that they do. And the storytelling is so strong that you know so much about these characters without them telling you in a computer game. And I feel like there are some amazing people in the horror sphere who realise that and say, we can tell these stories, whether it's in film or computer games and comics to some extent, um, that have meaning, that aren't just about going around and stabbing and blood or making people jump. Those elements are in there, and you know, there's violence and the scary things, but we've got a much better story to tell that we can't tell outside of the horror genre because people just won't let us, or because people will think it's boring. Right? You know, a great example of that is Mayor of East Town, bought a TV show, Kate Winslet, queen, absolute queen. But for me watching Mayor of East Town, I didn't care about the mystery at all, about the murder. What I cared about was the lives of the women and how they all intersected, who they were, their stories. but nobody would tell that story because that's not apparently interesting to the world. But all I want is Mary and all of her friends and her mum and her daughter to lit, to hear about those lives. But to make people interested in that, you've got to have the mystery, and I think that's what horror's doing. I mean, it wants to tell these stories, but it knows that it can't tell these stories, because nobody's interested or it can be enhanced by the horror horror elements. They're just the parameters that are going around the stories, but it's everything else that's inside that's really exciting and really interesting. And that's what you want people to listen to and think about. Horror's amazing. Everybody should just watch all the horror films. I'm sorry if you're scared by them. How do I define myself outside of geekdom? God, I'm concerned that I don't. Um, (laughs) I'm definitely, you know, I I was actually having an interesting conversation with a colleague earlier about geekdom and how it is, let's say, mainstream. And how I find that actually a really exciting thing because I'm no longer just me talking about these things. I've got all these people to talk to about it, um, which is very fun for me. (laughs) Probably not for them, the amount I talk (laughs) i'm not going to censor myself um so so outside of geekdom i do try to bring geeky things into everything that i do so i work in communications i've worked for a variety of organizations so i used to work in the civil service and then i left the civil service funny enough to work in film and tv post-production so i was desperate always being desperate to work in film if you can't tell because i love it um But sort of like never really had the money or the opportunity to go and do it. I didn't go to university. So like I said, my mum got divorced from my stepdad when I was a teenager. And it was very much sort of like a, you know, I just want, I just need to work. I just need some money. I don't really feel like I have the mental or financial capacity to go to university, even though I applied and got accepted. And so I just continued working. And then, of course, when you start working, you're making money. You think that's absolutely amazing making more money than I'd ever made I could spend it all on films and going to the cinema um so sort of carried on working moved to London fell into working in the civil service just like randomly applied for a job started working with the communications team and just realized how much fun working in comms is so I was working sort of like on government advertising and marketing but um But promoting our organisation to other government organisations to say, come and work with us, sounds very complex. Um, So writing, I've always loved writing. I'm not particularly good at it in sort of like if I wanted to write a novel, but in terms of work, I'm very good, if I do say so myself. Um, And getting the opportunity to be really creative. So whether that's in writing or putting images together, putting newsletters together, marketing materials. So really just fell into it and then worked my way up but, you know, in that job, there was never anybody geeky to share anything with either. Um, so I moved to film and TV post-production thinking there'd be so many geeky people. But um, in post-production, it's a lot of tech people or a lot of chief executives. And even though, you know, they do care about film and TV and stuff like that, it's, you know, you don't really sit and talk about it or you talk about it in terms of work. Um so I didn't really sort of find my people then. Although there were some there are some amazing post production um, places and houses who do fantastic work. Who I mean I will forever love double negative D Neg, who did lots of work on Chris Nolan's Batman films. They had like an absolutely well, I mean I'd never worked there, but all my interactions with them were absolutely amazing and they were geeks through and through, like everybody I ever did any work with there, um, they would just be happily talking about geeky things all day long, which was probably why they were my favourite post-production house to work with. Um, <laughs> uh, the worst was when, not the worst, but I, I went to some regular meetings at Pinewood, which was really exciting, which would be about sort of uh, films that were that be, being made in the UK, Um And we would sit there and we'd talk about what was coming out why they'd been delayed or why they'd been fast tracked and stuff like that but it was like a really serious meeting so i had to be there sit there and be really serious was all i wanted to talk about was like why was edgar wright's ant man not being released and like none of them wanted to talk about it and i was like we are sat in pinewood talking about films please can somebody just talk to me they're all professionals i was clearly not i just wanted to chat rubbish all day long um But that that got me excited about elements of film, TV and games even. So there was a couple of game studios that I got to sort of go in and view some of their stuff. The best was when I went into DNEG and they were working on the Tumblr for for, um, Batman. And so they were showing me all of the concepts and then, like, putting it together on the computer in front of me. And I was just like, oh, my God visual effects are so cool like I've still got a big love for visual effects well and practical effects I think practical effects and visual effects together are the best effects but yeah that was that was really exciting but it's I just really thought I was going to find the people who I could sit and talk films and computer games and stuff with and it wasn't that it's just fair enough because they're all professionals um then just sort of bounced around a bit and now I'm back in public sector so I work doing communications for social workers which is very challenging um but I mean I I went off and I just went off and had a baby like it's really easily like it's really easy um it's not it's horrific yeah the whole thing's horrific I don't recommend it to anybody um I say that loving my daughter more than anything in the whole entire world I still don't recommend it to anybody I would destroy this world for her I would literally burn down the whole world for her like woe betide anybody that does anything to upset her or hurt her because I don't think I'll have any control about it like like ah but at the same time if you're not that keen on children I wouldn't bother that's my overall life advice (laughs) but the best thing about having children and I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and they were like oh I'm trying not to influence into the things that I like I fundamentally disagree I 100% want her to like the things that I like. <laughs> and it is one of the best things about it. She's really into films. She's not three yet. She's just under three. Look, we've been in lockdown. It's been a tough old year. We had to parent for six months whilst working full-time because the nursery closed. She watched films because sometimes we just had to do work. And I know it's not the best parenting, but you've got to do what you've got to do. And I love that she loves films. And she's got such good taste in films already. Such good taste. She loves Studio Ghibli, which is just like the best thing ever. Kiki, Kiki's Livery Service is, her, is possibly her favorite. Then maybe Totoro. And I'm just like, you've got such good taste. Like you're not just watching any old trash that we. Would, and she won't watch it if it's something she doesn't like. She's really against Disney princesses apart from Moana and Frozen. They're the only two Disney princesses that she will like, and I'm cool with that. Recently watched recently watched Ray and the Last Dragon and enjoyed that. I'm also alright with that one. But she's got like really discerning taste. And she um she like she sits and properly watches it. Like her focus is really intense. Afterwards she will act out scenes from stuff and want to pretend to be those things. I'm just like, this is amazing. This is like the dream for me. Because she's gonna do what hopefully will do what my mum did. Oh no, what she becomes too cool for me does not want to sit and watch films with me. Ah but I mean, she's also started to get into comics really. So she so on Netflix there's Hilda. They've they've made an animation of the of the of the Hilda books, which is also absolutely fantastic. And so we were, so she loves it. So we were like, let's get her the Hilda books. And they are hands down her favourite books, and they're essentially comic books. I mean they are comic books. And I'm just like, my my nearly three year old loves comics. How have I done this? How have we done it? Sorry, there is another parent. I shouldn't take all the all the kudos for myself. But I love that. And I love that she's, like, getting into these things. We've got some Studio shibli posters in our hallway. And she used to get up every morning and be like, hi, Chihiro. Hi, no face, to the spirited away one. And, like, hi, Hal. And I just, like, I love it. I love it. I want to make her like all the things that I like. The nightmare. She's going to like football, which I have no interest in. Um, like your uncle can go and do football with you. I'll just stay at home watching films by myself in the dark, playing The Last of Us for the fiftieth time. <laughs> um. So yeah. So so yeah. A little break for parenting and trying to make an awesome little geek. Um. Yeah. And so now now working in comms, which I do really enjoy, but it's you know it's it is work. And I like my work, but I would much rather be sitting around, playing games, watching films, reading comics, drawing. Like, I've, I've started to get really into sort of, well, trying trying to learn to draw, some learning to draw and procreate, doing design. I sort of love doing all the design things. I've always been interested in that. At some point in my childhood, I recall I wanted to be a comic book artist, and then I realised it was really difficult. Um, although, one of the things I really love about comics now is I think that there's such an opportunity for people who aren't artists to create cool little digital comics and post them online which I love it's one of my favorite things on social media you know the ones that are all about sort of like normal everyday life and I love that there's not that perfection in in producing art for people to consume I feel like online's made that really possible online online has made like comics more accessible right and use like comixology and stuff like that to read them the internet's amazing um (laughs) I've tightly forgotten my point now (laughs) um so yeah I mean I think if I could quit work but have a job doing things creating things and consuming things that other people have created I think that has been my ideal life and parenting obviously it's very important seeing my friends all those sort of things would be fantastic but you know I like my job but my job sort of and I get to be creative in my job which is great but you know my job is it's just a job it's not be all and end all and I meet amazing people and I learn great things and I I always just want to do a good job that's all I want when I work I just I don't want to be like maybe I do want to be promoted but you know I just want people to go Rhea does a really good job that's what I want people to say (laughs) she's nice and funny and really clever And does an amazing job. It's all I want. Yeah, if I could spend all of my time doing what I think are geeky things, that would be amazing. Happily do that. I think a lot of people don't expect me to be geeky. I definitely experienced that as a teenager. Like, I would always want to be talking about comic books, films, and to some extent computer games or The X-Files or Buffy. And there was just nobody there. To talk to all, they just seem like, oh, you don't seem like you're into that. And I don't know if that's just because I'm a woman or, or like, just because I don't present that way. I think there's definitely, you know, people see geeky women as they do with men, like glasses and, and like, long hair and, like, you know, sort of dress like, dress like boys and things like that. And I've never really done that. I mean, there's definitely a period when I, you know, dressed like you know just wore hoodies and jeans all the time but especially now I tend to tend to wear like dresses and bright pink bright cut bright colors bright pinks I'm quite girly presenting I guess um even though I of course don't believe in those gender norms Um, (laughs) um, and so I think I present quite feminine and so then when people find out I like traditionally geeky things it's always quite shocking and I always get questions about it and I try to bring people in to the stuff that I like constantly because I want to talk about it. And I just find if people aren't into those things, there's either two reactions. It's either, okay, cool, talk some more, I'm really interested. Or or they sort of laugh at you. And I think that happens less often now the older that I am. And I also don't care if you laugh at me because I like what I like. I don't laugh at what you like because we all like different things. Like if you're really into football I think that's ace you carry on liking football if you're really into yoga that's actually pretty awesome can you tell me how to get into yoga because I really need to do more but I just can't be bothered so like give me your enthusiasm please you know all of those sort of things I think like what you like and if you like it and talk about it I'm going to get excited by it because I find that really exciting I love finding out what people like and I love hearing about and love people being excited about and wanting to tell you like ah give me all your thoughts, tell me everything. Like I, lo- I, I, I could interview people. I'd love just to sit and interview people and ask them questions all day long. Maybe that's what I should do. Anyway, um, I would have to stop talking first, clearly. Um, <laughs> um, but I find that with geeky stuff, unless somebody's slightly geeky inclined, there can often be some resistance. So, I, and I've got a colleague who I absolutely love. I'm so pleased that I've met her she's 10 years younger than me so we have really different cultural points that we talk about so I'll talk about films like she had never seen Clueless until she met me and I was like how have you not seen Clueless it's amazing and so what she had like this wonderful enthusiasm which was like I'm going to go and watch Clueless this weekend I went and watched it and we talked about it and then she talked about like some films she watched when I was the age that I watched Clueless and I was like I'm going to watch them not this weekend because I have a toddler so it's not going to happen for about five months, but I will wash it, watch it. And so I think there's people like that. I mean, and she's, she's a bit like me. She likes to learn about people and to take everything anyway, so it's not surprising. But there's also people who I was talking about, Buffy, because of the Binging Buffy podcast, and I'm part of a couple of Buffy communities, like Buffering, Vampire Slayer, and Still Pretty. And you know, I was talking about these communities and how I'd learnt a lot from them over the last year. So there's been, you know, discussions about Black Lives Matter and, and things like that and about gender and identity. And I was like, these communities have brought so much into my life because they've come together due to a shared interest, but then they're all so different and they've got different experiences and they come from different backgrounds, different religions, all of these sort of things, they're talking about these things. And They laughed. And I was like, I'm actually telling you that there's this really wonderful community that's making me a better person and it's changing my life, but you're laughing because it's about a TV show. And I was actually quite offended, and it doesn't really take much, you know, I don't get offended by these things often, but I was like, not only are you laughing about this amazing community that I'm talking about, but I've basically told you at the start of this conversation how much Buffy meant to me. You know, I was watching Buffy. Now I absolutely remember the first time I watched Buffy. So I used to love the film. My brother and I had watched the film. I knew the film off by heart, and I remember the first episode of Buffy came out, and I was babysitting, and I and I I remember it so perfectly. Watching the first episode, I actually didn't like the first episode, but I was like, I'm going to carry on watching it. You know, this is that's how much Buffy meant to me. That I that mem and that is a true memory. It's not me going, oh, I think I was babysitting, so maybe this happened. I absolutely 100% remember it. Um, And, you know, and it's been with me through so much. And when I was going through a difficult time, like the classic thing about Buffy is it's not about the demons. It's not about the vampires. It's about growing up and those experiences. Buffy was there for me. And Buffy will continue to be there for me, despite its hideous creator. You know, it's all the other things about Buffy that are amazing. You know, I know that when my mum dies, who I'm really close to, That I probably won't watch it straight away, but the body is going to be on my watch list to help me deal with the grief. You know, which I know sounds really messed up, but I process a lot through film and TV and media. (laughs) Um, You know, and then somebody's there laughing, and sure, they don't know all of that about me, but I've shared that this is something that's important to me, and these communities are important to me, and you're laughing at me because you think it's silly that TV shows had such an influence on my life. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think it's wonderful that these things have impacts on people's lives and they allow us to explore things and they allow us to become better people, meet other people like us. I think that film, TV, media in general can be life-changing. And in just one laugh, you've just... Like this whole thing that I have around this community, and the geek community is my community, they're the first community that made me not feel like a weirdo. And I wasn't really much that much of a weirdo, but I was just a bit lonely. And you know, I'd go into Forbidden Planet when I first moved into London. Apart from like the occasional annoying man who would come up and be like, ooh, what do you know about comic books? Most people were like, Oh cool, we we're all here with comic books and films. And you've literally just laughed at me. And I, was, and I, you know, I just thought, how sad is your life that you just you just want to dismiss these things just because you consider it geeky or not important. And actually, stuff can be life-changing. It doesn't matter if it's a film, TV, or comic book. I think that maybe they don't realise that they're geeky too. Just because they think the things that they like aren't into what was considered to be geeky doesn't mean you're not a geek, right? Like I said, you can be geeky about yoga. Isn't that ace nice, that you can be geeky about yoga? Cool, go off and be geeky about it. You'll be reading geeks, probably the best geeks, i say that as i love reading but not as much as reading geeks they're great aren't they They always tend to be pretty cool people um just just, just you know putting them all into one group as if they're all one personality i apologize you are not you're all wonderful individuals i'm so sorry um, you know i do think that the word geek has changed so much and hey isn't that cool about language that language changes that geeks you know it has widened out that you can be geeky about anything and I think that just that little bit of tolerance around other people's interests is really important like I said the same things I'm not interested in but if you're going to talk to me about something that you care about I'm going to take the time to listen because you care about it and I care about you um I do think that there are things that don't help the geeky stereotypes you know I know lots of people like it, but I cannot stand the Big Bang Theory. I think it is television television production at its worst. But also, you know, I would be told that I'm not a proper geek because I don't seem like somebody from the Big Bang Theory, right? Because that's what people expect. Well, aren't science geeks cool? They know science. Science is amazing. Like we're all alive now because of science. Let's not be taking the piss out of science geeks, please. Um, you know, I, you know, there's there's all these things that I think we just need to be more tolerant or more interested in, or just not, the word geek isn't negative, And I think most geeks feel, well, I hope most geeks or geeky people feel that it isn't negative, that it's a positive thing. And I just, just love what you love. I just really enjoy it. So one of the things getting older that I don't think I ever shied away from my geekiness, but you know, there'd be times when I was like, Oh, I'm not going to talk about something geeky because now nobody's interested. I will sit in a work meeting say something geeky if nobody picks up on it i just don't care i mean i'm annoyed at them because i'm like come on this is cool and i'm cool but you know if they end not pick up it's fine because it, it, you know because i'm a lot more secure in who i am as myself and a lot of that does come with age and having a kid because once you have a kid you can't care about anything because you just got to keep a human alive and that's really stressful um you know but i've also just i'm much more comfortable in what i like i love harry potter i didn't get into harry potter until sort of like my mid twenties, and I—I I absolutely love Harry Potter. It's problematic. J.K. Rowling is problematic. There's a lot of things I've had to learn about the things that I love, and I think Harry Potter is a great example. But there's a wonderful community around Harry Potter that I'm really proud to be a part of. Like any community, there's toxic things within it. But you know, I think it's really important that if you find a community that's supportive. And you identify with and you feel like you get a lot out of that you spend some time in that community. If you then want to leave it because it's not those things, that's fine. For example, Last of Us Part Two community, PlayStation community got incredibly toxic when Last of Us Part Two came out. And I really had to remove myself. I mean, I wouldn't say I was particularly active in it, but you know, computer games are really important to me. Last of Us and Last of Us Part Two are really important to me when Last of Us Part Two came out, as I'm sure most people involved in those communities know, there was a lot of unpleasant things about female characters, about gay characters, about bisexual characters, about women, about strong women that were really, really unpleasant. I had to remove myself from that community because I was like, this is just not for me. And if these are the things that you think are important and want to complain about, that's fine. But I think you're all a bunch of bigots, Um, you know, Keep on, find, keep on finding these communities. Keep on finding these people that you can connect with. It doesn't mean that has to be your whole life. I can still be friends with people and connect with people outside of these communities. But if you're excited about something, if you want to talk about something, just talk about it. It's not your problem if they don't get it or they don't like it. Just be happy in what you like. like I wish I told that to my sort of, like, teen or 20-year-old self. I mean, teens are all messed up, so I wouldn't have listened um, I would have been like, what are you talking about, stupid old lady? I'd be like, I'm only 38, I'm not old. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, just just keep on, you, you can talk about the things that you love, and I think that brings a lot less stigma about it. You know, of course there are all other important things that we should talk about or that we should identify with, but if you love a computer game, if you love a comic book, if you love a TV show, just talk about it, because there will be somebody that is interested. Well, there will be somebody like my fantastic colleague who goes, I've never seen that. I'm going to go and watch it. And then you can talk about it. Keep on learning. Keep on experiencing things. Keep on enjoying things. Christ, the world is on fire. Like, let's just enjoy some stuff. Let's just, you know, try and find a little bit of happiness. If you don't like something, don't engage with it. It's fine. Like, if you do like something or you're interested, talk to people about it who like the same things. Whatever you find joy in, find joy in it. Don't be afraid to talk about it, to experience it. If you want to keep it to yourself as well, do. but don't be afraid to talk about stuff. Like, you never know. Maybe if I talked about when I was a teenager about, I mean, I did talk about films a lot, but, you know, maybe if I kept on talking about films to different people, there might have been somebody who turned around and went like, oh, I love Die Hard too. Let's go and watch it. You know, you never know. And that's the thing I've learned as an adult. If people if people aren't interested mostly they'll be like i'm not really interested and that's okay don't get offended by it and your geekiness can bring great things i met my husband through geekiness so i met my husband through i love our story of how we met so i was working in um film tv post-production he was working as a developer for a post-production house and a mutual company had a Christmas, not Christmas party, summer party. And we, like, our companies went there. And there was lots of free drinks. And I was sat with my friend and we were having some drinks. And he came over and he said, oh, can I have your beers? Because we weren't drinking the beers. And we were like, yeah, of course, don't care about the beers. I looked down and he was wearing some Star Wars shoes. So he was wearing the Shelto Vader shoes. And I was like, oh, my God. I am desperate for a pair of Skywalkers because they've been sold out. And that was it. And then we just started talking. Because for him, he was like, I've not really known a woman, and this is a terrible stereotype, which I would disagree with now, but at the time he was like, I've not known a woman who would look at my shoes and immediately go, they're Star Wars shoes, who also likes Star Wars. You know, and then we start talking about comic books and TV shows and films. It turned out we liked all of those things. And I think that's so for me that was really unusual like because I as you can tell I just blurt all things out so I was like Star Wars shoes cool um you know and I think often (laughs) that doesn't lead to anything it was just like I met him because of Star Wars I met him because of Star Wars ridiculous merchandising which we all fall for because it's amazing I was like and and I And then that's it. Like we're now together, it's nearly 10 years. You know, we still like the same stuff, but we're growing in the different stuff that we like. And we're learning about different stuff from each other. But Star Wars made us get together. And then we made the most awesome human in the whole entire world. No offense to anybody else, but my daughter is better than all of you. And like, isn't that amazing? Geekiness brought us together.
0: One Season's Greetings to the Nevers A watch through of the HBO show Available on the Comics in Motion feed Ria can be found on Twitter At Ria Carrigan And Instagram Also at Rhea Carrigan All links available in the show notes Dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and fantastic universes by joining our Patreon patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.
1: My daughter's called Mara Jade because uh, Mara Jade Skywalker is my favourite, all-time favourite Star Wars character from the, from both the expanded and the normal universe. Um, and also when I was younger and I was reading the Star, the um, Spider-Man comic books, I was obsessed with MJ in the comic books. So Mary Jane, absolutely obsessed with her. I thought she was such a cool character because she was just her, right? And she was so confident. And she was just getting on with her life of Peter slash Spider-Man, She's just you know, saving the world and stuff, but he's just doing whatever. And she was just like, I'm just MJ, just getting on with life. Um, and so I just thought she was amazing. So we named her after both Mara Jade from Star Wars and MJ from Spider-Man. So we call her MJ, but her full name is Mara Jade. Like, that's the best name. It's a great name. I know it's I know it's not to everybody's taste, but I'm just like. Geekdom's cool. It's brought a lot to my life. And now my kid is awesome and she likes geeky stuff and she has a cool, awesome, geeky name.